Good morning. This morning's reading is from Exodus chapter 21, verse 33, through chapter 23, verse 19. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. When he gives money to its owner, and the dead beast shall... Oh, he, gives, he shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive and in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution uh, from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution." But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. If a man seduces a virgin who was not engaged to be married and lies with her, 
he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If the father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many, and so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let them be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. 
You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest for the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year you shall, uh, shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything unleavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Thank you, Karen. At this point, everyone who's visiting is going, wow, we picked the wrong church. And at this point, many of our regulars are going, wow, I picked the wrong church. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Well, there go my lunch plans. All right, so we have some more of the Old Testament law. And what do we do with this? What do we do with this incredibly long section of laws that Karen just read for us? Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, Michael was a prophet who prophesied during the reigns of the Judean kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. God's people had not followed the law, as we just heard Moses laying down. And Michael was one of many main prophets that the Lord sent to his people to call them back. And so Micah speaks to the Lord. And rather than recounting all of these detailed laws that Karen just read for us, he says, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. And friends, that's an apt summary of the laws that Karen just read for us today. In your relationships, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Last week, we started to study these specific laws that the Lord gave to ancient Israel. And we noted two things that we want to remember today as we begin again and look at some more laws. First, All of these laws are practical applications of the Ten Words, or the Ten Commandments, that God gave to Israel. And we're going to see that again today as we go through some of these laws. But the second thing that we want to remember, and really the more important thing, is that we are not under these laws. We're not bound by these laws, because our context and our covenant are different. Our context and our covenant are different. You know, first of all, our context and our culture today are different, so these specific applications, they no longer apply to us. Not many of us are keeping a lot of livestock. So those laws don't directly apply to us. Our context is different. But secondly, and more importantly, church, we want to remember that these laws, we're not under them because our covenant is different. Because we have a different and a better covenant, which is what Jesus Christ came to do. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it was enacted on better promises. 
the new covenant, what Christ has come, the new relationship that God has established between humanity and God is better. The new covenant is better. And the author of Hebrews explains what this is and what this looks like as he quotes just a few verses later from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Hebrews 10.8 says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. So the old covenant were laws written on tablets of stone. But Jesus came to establish a new covenant, a new relationship with God. The Spirit who writes the laws on our hearts. We don't obey an external law. We are moved by an internal spirit. And that spirit will not necessarily lead us to obey the specific laws that Karen read for us. But the spirit is going to lead us in conformity to the character of the unchanging God who's revealed by these laws. So these laws for us today, like we said last week, are descriptive, but not prescriptive. They're descriptive, but not prescriptive. They don't prescribe behaviors that we must obey, but they do describe, illustrate, teach us about the unchanging character and desires of God. These laws reveal to us who God is and how He created this world. So they're descriptive of the Lord and who He is and how He's created. And so we respond to that today. So turning to these laws, what do we find revealed? What do we find revealed that's important for us to know today about the unchanging character and purposes of the Lord? Well, first off, we find a lot of laws about livestock. You know, in fact, after last week, you know, my daughter Abigail pointed out, she goes, Dad, you should have just kept reading because last week you ended with laws about oxen. And this week you're going to start with more laws about oxen. And she's right. But there's an important reason why we divided this where we did. Because all the laws that we studied last week had to do about harm coming to human beings. And all of the laws that we start with this week have to do about harm coming to property. Last week we did hear about an oxen, but an oxen who is known to gore and might attack your human neighbor. In this case, we do hear again about oxen, but now he's not goring a human, but another oxen or another animal. So again, we find that the first set of laws that we were looking at last week, a lot of them were applications of the sixth word, you shall not murder. But this set of laws, the first part of them from chapter 21, verse 33, through chapter 22, verse 15, they're all practical applications of the eighth word, you shall not steal. A distinction is being made between harm coming to a human and harm coming to property. There is a difference when you're dealing with human life versus when you're dealing with animal life. And friends, this is just important to note because there are some who would assert that animal life is of equal importance to human life. But we find that the principle revealed is that animal life is valuable and it should be treated with respect, but the value of a human life is always considered greater. And secondly, this first set of laws, we should note against those today that would assert socialist, communist, or other philosophies that say individual possession is evil. We need to note that the truth behind these laws is that individuals have a right to 
and possessions. And in fact, these laws all demonstrate that individuals have a right and a right to be protected in their possessions. So without looking at each one of these individual laws, you're welcome. The first section could be summarized, respect and protect the property of others. Don't steal by force or by dishonesty. And don't destroy the property of others by malice or by neglect. For you shall not steal. And then the next section of laws that we come to quite abruptly starting in chapter 22, verse 16, these all have to do with justice and social relationships. You know, we first we see the law in Exodus 22, 16 through 17 about sex outside of marriage. And that has to do with the seventh word, you shall not commit adultery. Because any kind of sex outside of a husband and wife relationship is off limits. And so it says, a man who seduces an unmarried woman is bound to marry her. And while the language here seems to indicate the sex was consensual, there was still a power difference in that culture. This law was really intended to protect women from being used and abandoned by men. The man was not free to have his way with a woman and then just walk away from her as though nothing had happened. Sex is presented as anything but casual. And years later, the author of the book of Hebrews would write in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. You see, the principle that we find here behind this law is that sexuality is too precious and marriage is too valuable to be treated lightly. You shall not commit adultery. And church, how are we doing holding up the beauty and the value of sexuality and marriage? Are we calling men to take responsibility for themselves and how they treat and interact with women within their relationships? The next set of three short commands, chapter 22, verses 18 through 20, are likely related. And you'll note that all three of these commands carry the death penalty. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. All three of these have to do with violating the very first word. You shall have no other gods before me. Because all of these describe behaviors associated with pagan worship. The worship of other gods. You know, the word that's translated here is sorceress is the same word that was used to describe the sorcerers and magicians who Pharaoh had called to oppose Moses. And you remember that by their own dark arts, they were able to turn stabs into snakes and they turned water into blood and they conjured up frogs upon the land. Sorcerers are those who called upon the name of false gods and demons so that they might know great things or so that they might do great works. So sorcery, sex with animals, and sacrifices to other gods were all pagan religious practices, and they were violations of the first word. And they were so heinous and so dangerous to the life of ancient Israel, they were punishable by death itself. For you shall have no other gods before me. 
And friends, that final command in chapter 23 that Karen read for us, the one about not boiling a young goat in its mother's milk, this was likely also a pagan practice of worship. It was forbidden, lest Israel violate this first word and worship other gods. Now, church, those specific practices we just read there, I mean, unless you're a big fan of fried goat, are probably not a problem for you. However, are there pagan practices that we're likely to embrace that might threaten our own devotion to the Lord? In what ways are you and I in danger of becoming just like the world and starting to worship the gods and take on the values of the world around us? For the Lord said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the next section of laws that we find here are laws all about justice. And they're framed by command as to how Israel is supposed to treat the most vulnerable amongst them. Look at chapter 22, verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then if you skip down chapter 23, verse 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. See, both of these commands reminded Israel of her deliverance. You were once the vulnerable. You were once the oppressed. And now that you're in the position of power, don't become that from which you were delivered. Remember, you once were there. And you should not wrong the sojourner or oppress him. And more than that, chapter 22, verse 22 includes, you shall not mistreat any widow, or fatherless child. Friends, these were the categories of the most vulnerable in the ancient world. If you didn't have a husband or a father to protect you, you had little standing legally, financially, or economically. If you didn't have land or home as a sojourner, it left you equally vulnerable to abuse and to oppression. And the Lord reminds His people, do justice for the vulnerable. In fact, in chapter 22, verses 25 through 27, he sternly reminds Israel, practice justice in all your economic dealings. When you're loaning money and when you're collecting interest, the law warns, don't profit off of another person's need. Don't take advantage of someone when they're most vulnerable. Don't exploit your neighbor. Instead, love your neighbor. Don't exploit your neighbor, but love your neighbor. And ultimately, friends, don't we remember? Don't we remember that Jesus came and then all of the New Testament writers that followed him saying that all of the law is summarized in this call to love your neighbor? The Apostle Paul summarized it well in Romans chapter 13, verses 9 through 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And friends, I want you to notice something about love. Love actually goes beyond justice. He calls us people to justice. The Lord calls us people to justice, but He says, no, no, I want you to go beyond justice to love. I want you to go beyond justice to love. Because we all know that lady justice, 
Lady Justice is pictured as holding a set of scales. uh, Joshua, I have a picture there. Come on, it took me a while to get that. I don't want to lose it. Lady Justice is pictured as holding a set of scales because justice is about restoring balance. The punishment should fit the crime. The restitution should be equal to the theft. The best, to the best of our ability, let balance and wholeness be restored as justice. However, notice, these laws actually call Israel to go beyond justice and to consider love. Consider the prohibition here in verses 26 through 27. He says, If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Now, now justice, equal and fair treatment under the law, would, would not demand that he return the cloak that was given his pledge as collateral for the loan, because he hasn't paid back the loan. So justice would be, he hasn't paid back the loan, he doesn't get back his collateral for the loan. It's not going to be returned. But the Lord says, no, no, no. Go beyond justice. You're right. It would be just for you to hang on to that cloak. But if you hang on to that cloak, he doesn't have anything warm to sleep in. And that's all he has. So go beyond the strict and narrow demands of justice to do what is right. Let the poor man sleep in his cloak so that he might be warm at night. Because God says, did you hear him? He says, I'm compassionate. I'm compassionate. And so should you be. The point of the law is I'm trying to reveal myself and my compassion and my love to you. And I want you to know I am compassionate. I'm compassionate. Go beyond the demands, the strict demands of justice to love. The Lord has declared, as he did through the prophet Micah, don't merely do justice, but love kindness. Some translations say love mercy. Don't just do justice. Love mercy. Love kindness. Love your neighbor. And this is again evidence just a few commands later. Look at chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Now justice would be, treat your enemy the way he treated you. Give back to him what the guy has given to you. Justice is when you get what you deserve. And if he's your enemy, and he's been dishing it out to you, justice is you dish it out to him. But the Lord says, no. Don't merely do justice. Love kindness. Love your enemy. Because although he doesn't deserve it, love him anyway. Because friends, that's the heart of God. And we know it's the heart of God because of what He's given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We know this is the heart of God because of the Gospel, the good news. We remember that while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting and resisting God, while we were cursing Him and spitting in His face, while we were nailing Him to a cross, while we were God's enemies, God loved us and Christ died for us. As we sang this morning, how deep the Father's love for us, and how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch, His enemy, His treasure. Friends, what great love 
has God shown us? If you're here today, or if you're watching online and you don't know this love, have never received it for your own and have never trusted this love, then I invite you, don't wait. This love is available to you today. And I would love to talk and to pray with you that you might know Him who so loved us. And church, we need to remember that as we have been loved, we now need to love. We should love as God has first loved us. Jesus came and He taught us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43-45, through 45, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that's just. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So church, do justly, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Now, now we skipped over a few commands there at the end of chapter 2. So just briefly, chapter 22, verse 18, talks about not reviling God or cursing the ruler of the people. And that's hearkening us back to the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. Friends, we're called to show proper respect and honor to the authorities that God has instituted. Thousands of years later, the Apostle Peter will similarly remind the church in 1 Peter 2, 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So honor your father and your mother. Show proper honor to all authorities that God has instituted. And then we move on to chapter 23. And verses 1 through 3, then 6 through 8, all warn against violating the ninth commandment. All of these are about the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't pervert justice by spreading a false report. And don't use your words to be partial towards or against people for any reason, it says. Again, the image of Lady Justice. Isn't she there? Didn't I put her up there? There she is. I don't know why she's having, she's kind of shy today. Again, the image of Lady Justice shows us that she's blindfolded. Justice should be blind. People should be treated equally before the law, regardless of finance, social status, race, or other factors. In fact, in the New Testament, James, the half-brother of Jesus, warns us against showing partiality. In James chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Friends, it is not loving. And it's in fact sinful to show partiality or to treat people unequally. And friends, this is important for us to understand because there are those today espousing critical race theory or the concept of intersectionality who are dividing us into groups, into classes based upon race or relative wealth or gender or sexuality or religion and then pitting us against one another. We're being told that some groups and classes are always evil and always oppressors and should always be disfavored while other groups are always good and always victims and should always be favored. 
And this is somehow wrongly labeled as social justice. But friends, there's nothing just about that. Equity, which is a word that critical race theory uses, sounds a lot like equality, but it's actually the opposite. Because equality means justice is blind, equal treatment of all under the law. Equity demands discrimination. It demands that we show partiality, that we treat people unequally, that we discriminate against some, and we forcibly produce outcomes. Critical race theory and equity are racism and sexism and religious intolerance. They're just repackaged and relabeled and now being taught in our schools and foisted upon our society. But Israel's warned, don't use your words to bear false witness. Don't use your words to show partiality or favoritism or any other ism. Don't speak or support that which is untrue about populations or individuals. Don't discriminate for or against or show partiality to rich or to poor, to Jew or to Gentile, to black or to white, to woman or to man. Rather, speak truly. Judge justly. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. And then finally, the closing commands of chapter 23, verses 10 through 19, are all about the first and the fourth commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, And the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know, proper worship of the Lord includes the rhythm of the weekly Sabbath, the annual festivals, the land's seventh year Sabbath rest. Friends, we're naturally oriented by rhythms. You're naturally oriented by rhythms. You live a regular rhythm of 24 hours a day. Daytime, nighttime. Daytime, nighttime. We live the rhythm of seven days Every week, four seasons cyclically and rhythmically repeat themselves. Spring, summer, fall, winter, or here in Maine, mud season, black fly season, Taurus season, then winter. But we have a rhythm. Our lives are full of annual celebrations that mark the rhythms of our year. New Year's, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then it starts over again. Our friends, our, our lives are naturally oriented around rhythm. And these final commands that Karen read for us today were given by the Lord to orient Israel into a rhythm, a rhythm of observance that would point them towards Him. In fact, one commentator calls these the holy rhythm of Israel's life. The holy rhythm to help Israel walk humbly with her God. The Lord commanded every seven days, take a Sabbath rest from work. He said every seven years, one Sabbath year of rest from the work of the land and the work of collection of death. And then the Lord gave three reoccurring annual pilgrimages, festivals that all the Israelite males were expected to participate in. And then looking back to chapter 22, verses 29 through 30, the Lord commanded a rhythm of redemption of the first fruits of the harvest and the firstborn animals. The Lord was giving His people a rhythm of worship that helped keep them oriented towards Him. Because His desire was what He proclaimed in chapter 23, verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. He said, let the rhythms of worship 
focus you away from the other gods so that they're not even heard on your lips and focus you toward me. And church, while we no longer observe these particular festivals as described here, nor are we bound to the observance of a particular day of a Sabbath, we too might still consider towards what is the rhythm of your life orienting you. Towards what is the rhythm of your life orienting you? Just this last Wednesday at prayer meeting, we read the words of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit or the rhythm of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews says, the regular rhythm and habit you have of meeting is encouraging you. It's spurring you on. It's forming you. It's shaping you because, friends, the rhythm of your life is forming you. The rhythm of your work and your rest, the gatherings in which you participate and in which you choose to abstain, the voices to which you regularly listen and those which you ignore, that which you regularly read, the rituals and habits you daily engage, they're all orienting you in a direction and they're forming you into a person towards what is the rhythm of your life forming you. Because the Apostle Paul warns in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is, the good, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because the rhythms of your life daily, weekly, monthly, annually are orienting you, they're conforming you, they're transforming you, and towards what are you being oriented? Into what are you being formed? Into what image is the rhythm of your life making you? Friends, we look at these laws, and we are in a very different context, so some of these laws are no longer relevant to us. And we are under today a better covenant, so we're no longer bound to the specific laws. But all of these laws reveal to us the unchanging character of our unchanging God. So considering these laws given to ancient Israel, we might rightly ask, what does the Lord desire of us today? And church, while many things may look different, some key things may look very much the same. For the unchanging God desires of His people today what He desired of His people then. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And the particulars of that may look different for us today than it did for ancient Israel. But friends, the call is the same because our God is the same. So this week, today, tomorrow, how is the Lord calling you to go forth and to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with Him. Let's pray. Father, lead us. Lead us to follow You. To follow You in our thoughts and our words. To follow You in our actions and in our love. We come to You and we pray that, Lord, as we're about to sing, that You would give us clean hands that You would give us pure hearts, that You would turn us towards Yourself by the power of Your Spirit, that our lives and our words and our very beings might reflect You to this world. 
So Lord, lead us and guide us. And may we honor you in all that we say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, stand and sing with us. Give us clean hands and create in me a clean heart. Join us downstairs for some coffee and fellowship. But as our gathering ends, Christ on His mission now sends you. He has told you, O church, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, 
So go forth in the name and the power of Jesus Christ to do justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen.